0: You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. And when we talk about social justice, I I recognize the fact that there are are different camps of people that, that, that think differently about this topic because it is so loaded and it's so polarizing. Right. There's there's one one group of you and, and maybe there's many groups and that's probably true. But but I try and break things down simply. Right. Because it's it's nice and and bite size and I can get my mind around it. But there's this idea where some of you in here, you're angry just at the fact that we talk about social justice. And, and there's, there's definitions running through your mind about what, what it means to you to talk about social justice. And there's, there's another group of you who you're, you may be angry this morning when you leave here because maybe I don't go far enough in talking about it or the church hasn't talked about it enough. And so, so you're angry already also. And, and so as we, as, as we wade into this, my hope and my prayer is that we can come together as a church and we can say, okay, the Bible talks about justice. And the Bible talks about, uh, about ministering to the marginalized, but the Bible talks about this in a way that, that, that I want to I look at, and I want to try to redefine this term and think about it in the way that we are going to talk about it as Anthem Church, because there's a couple def- different definitions of social justice, and I, I threw some up on the screen. When I, when I was looking up social justice, um, one definition was this, justice in terms of the distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society, and some of you, when you read that, what you read is distribution of wealth, like redistribution of wealth. And we add that re on there. And we, try and, we try and spread things out and we try and make everything even. And so, so you know, that, that's upsetting to some. And to some of you, you're like, yeah, right, let's do that. There's another definition. I got this one from uh, the, the Heritage Foundation organization. It says, social justice is really the capacity to organize with others to accomplish ends that benefit the whole community. Now, I look at that and I'm like, well, yeah, that's more middle of the road, right? That's, that's, I I can get behind that. That's nobody making me do anything because I, I don't want somebody to tell me that I have to be nice to people. I don't want somebody to tell me that I need to do something. I want to, I want to do it on my own, right? That's part of freedom and that's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? But even as we look at those definitions, and and as we continue to talk about social justice and even this morning Stan and I and the guys are like how what's another way to talk about social justice and we were talking about I'm like Stan I, I got to preach this in like 2 hours dude like don't don't uh don't bomb my whole message and he didn't but uh, I and and we were talking about that and it's like man there's there's even different camps as as we talk about these definitions and and one camp of people they typically believe that people are just broken and if they, would, if they would do better or work harder, they would get ahead. Right? They, they look at this idea of social justice and they say, well, you know, it, they are getting what they deserve. That might, be, that might be mean, but they're getting what they deserve. in, in the idea of homelessness and, and poverty and hunger. Because after all, if you don't work, you don't eat. Right? Doesn't the Bible say that somewhere? And then and then the, there's another camp of people who who they they believe they hear this and they they believe that people are genuinely genuinely or generally fine right it's just the fact that they're that they are put within systems that are broken and if they had better systems then they would be able to get ahead and they hear this and they they hear that that people aren't getting what they deserve and what they deserve is is a home and and prosperity and food and and the idea is people are inherently good they're just victims of systems and circumstances and even as I say that it's like well yeah don't people deserve things like food and in my mind I'm already playing devil's advocate and I'm I'm in your place I'm like yeah people deserve those things I mean that's that's right but but the reality is, is that the system like the whole thing is more messed up than than we know Like, we try and, we try and break this down. We try and make it nice bite-sized pieces and we try and say, well, well, it's about the systems. It's about education. It's about mental health. It's about, it's about the, the government being corrupt or, or the government being corrupt in these different areas. And, and, and we try and make it about these, these little things. And yet it is so messed up because at the baseline, we're working with broken people. And we have broken people trying to make broken systems to make everything okay. Right? And and you look at that and, and it's just ah, uh, it's just so messed up. Because it's not just the person that's on the street corner that needs that needs healing and restoration, it's your neighbor, right? It's not just the person in in the 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 drug rehab clinic that needs restoration and healing and justice it's the person that lives within your house and I'll give you a hint it's not your spouse right some of you are going there it's like oh yeah I live with somebody they need healing and restoration actually it's you right that we are broken And and yet there is something within us that desires justice. And and I think we would all look at the world around us and we would say, man, things need to be done. Something needs to to happen. Restoration, justice, people should not not be dying because they can't get food. Things are not the way that they were meant to be. And what I want to try and do is I want to try and redefine what we're going to talk about social justice. Because the question is, how do we go about this? How do, how do we address this, this topic? And, and I'll tell you what, guys, I am a broken person. And for the past few weeks, I've been trying to figure out how do we approach this subject as broken people? And how do we figure out how do we work within the time that we are? And I just want to start with prayer because I am way over my head in this topic. So let's just pray. God, I thank you so much. For your goodness and your mercy to us, I praise you for um, just your, your justice and your mercy, even though we don't deserve it. And I pray, God, that you would, that you would speak through me here this morning and, and just use this, um, use me as a broken person. It's in your name. Amen. I think we have to look at, as, we're, as we start to redefine this, we have to look at like, where we started. Because I do think there's this desire within us, it's a good God-given desire, to see justice to see restoration, that's God-given. Because I think that if you look in the very beginning in Genesis, we see God creating man and woman. We see in, in Genesis, the, the account of Genesis, that it, he's speaking out just creation. God speaks and there's light. God speaks and there's, there's day and night, sun and moon. God speaks and, and the, the, the land forms and the, the birds of the air and the, the creatures that grow. and, and then and, and then it's almost like in my overactive imagination, it's almost like the narrative of Scripture slows down a little bit, and, and we see the creator God. Like, in my mind, I, <laughs> I don't know how this works in my mind, but it just does. In my mind, I see the creator God, like, just kneeling down in his creation and beginning to form something with his hands, getting his hands dirty. And in my mind, you know, from, from my perspective, it's like, oh, what's he doing? What's he, what's he going to do? And, and he forms man. And it's almost like this intimate, like, okay, we're going to stop speaking, and I'm going to get my hands dirty, and I'm going to make something beautiful here, and I'm going to make it in my own image. And it says, he breathed life into man. And and there was man, and there was Adam, and he gave Adam dominion, and then then he took Adam, and, and he made him go to sleep, and he took a rib out of his side, and he made Eve, and when Adam saw Eve, he said, whoa, man, like, right, get it? A bad joke, but still, I mean, it's like, whoa, man that's awesome God good job All right, let's do this right and and you see Eve and the the crowning achievement of creation and in Genesis chapter 2 verse 25 it says and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed one of the best verses in all of scripture right you just need to go home and memorize that one because it's like they, they were naked and without a shame like that was the original design the original intent was that God made man and woman and they were perfect in relationship with each other. There was, no, there was no hiding, there was no shame. They, they were open with each other. And, and I mean, just, just imagine as they would run through the garden tending it and, and, and just being who they were created to be with no games and no nothing. They, they were in perfect communion with each other, but not only that, they were perfect communion with God. They're in relationship with God. There was no shame between them and God. There was no hiding. There was no, there was no confusion there. And it was perfect. That's the original design. That's what we are created for. We are created for relationships with each other. We are created for relationships with God. And yet, in Genesis 3, we see that was broken because man and woman, they rebelled against God and they chose something lesser They chose to go their own way. They chose to to do their own thing. And sin entered the world, and their relationships with God was broken. Because God cannot be with broken people because God is perfect. And so they were kicked out of the garden. We know the story. They were kicked out of the garden. But, but not only was their relationship with God broken, but their relationship with each other was broken. We, we see as God proclaims, like, all right, all right, here's, here's what's going to happen now because you rebelled and you chose what you thought would be better. Here's the implications of that. And one of the implications when he talk, talks to Eve, he says, your desire will be for your husband and yet he will rule over you. And that desire, it's not like, it's not like a sexual desire. It's not like a, a good desire. It's not a healthy desire. It's this desire to devour. And so there's this, there's this power play now. Their the relationships are, with God are broken. Their relationships with each other are broken and marred. And that's where we are now. But, but that's not the end of the story. All throughout scripture, we see God redeeming and restoring creation. It's beautiful. Because he's saying, you know what? My, my, intentions my story you can't break that praise God right I can't screw up God's plan that is such a comfort because I do a lot of dumb things and yet we see we see God that was maybe a little too emphatic there that <laughs> laughter but we see God restoring people to himself. And in, in Revelation 21, we see the end. See, this is where we started. Genesis 2, they were naked and without a sh- they were in, in perfect relationship with each other. But then we see Revelation 21. Revelation 21, 1 through 5 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I don't know about you, but as I read that passage... I like even as I was going through this again this morning, it just it threatens to choke me up because when I read that, it's, it's someday all this is going to be made right. There is brokenness in our world. There was death and sickness, and yet, and yet we read Revelation 21 where it's, it, God again gets his hands dirty, and it says that he wipes away every tear from there. I, in, my, in my overactive imagination, I just imagine God taking us, taking his children by the face and saying, oh, let me, let me take care of that for you. Isn't that beautiful? Let me just wipe that away. I don't know what you've experienced. Let me, let me take care of that for you. That's beautiful. And yet, that's what will happen. That's someday. It's not today. It's not what we experience today. We experience brokenness today. We, The salt company, we went on a float trip yesterday. I did not know what all went into float trips in Missouri. <laughs> I'll just be honest with you, okay? We saw brokenness firsthand on the river yesterday. I'm glad I'm not a youth pastor because I'd have a lot of angry parents calling me probably. But, but we saw it, and it's like, man, that is not where we are. We're not in Revelation 21. So how do we live in this as Christians, as, as people who, who God is redeeming and restoring to himself? How do we live in this? As we're talking about social justice, what do we do? And I, I've been thinking about Luke chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4 this morning. I meant to tell you that earlier, so you can be turning there. Luke chapter 4 is where we're looking at. And I think that Jesus does a good job of saying, okay, this is what I'm doing in the in-between. Right? We, we see the original design. We see where we're going, but not where we are. But this is what I'm doing in the in-between right here in this place. And I believe that in that, we see a, a, a definition, a new definition of what it means to be about social justice. Okay, so Luke chapter 4, we're starting in verse 16. Let's read it together. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And this is obviously, it's talking about Jesus. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The scripture of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? All right, let's stop there. What's what's happening in this, in at this point in the narrative of Jesus' life and ministry is, is just a, a chapter earlier, Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, and, and, and we know what happened in the baptism. The, the heavens opened, and uh, the Holy Spirit in the form of, of a dove came and, and rested upon Jesus, and God spoke from heaven and said, this is my son of whom I am well pleased. And he goes directly from that, says, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he goes to the wilderness, wilderness and he's tempted for 40 days. But then he goes from the wilderness as he, as he goes through that temptation, the angels minister to him and all this stuff happens and he goes from there at the beginning of, uh, in the middle of chapter four, it talks about how he goes and in the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins his earthly ministry and he does all these things and the words about him spread. And then he goes to his hometown. And he goes to his hometown and it says that, that he goes to the synagogue, it's, the synagogue was like the church. In that day, and, and they went, and he took the scroll. They, they must, at this point in, in this ministry, it must have been, like, everybody knows, like, okay, Jesus is here. Yeah, give him the scroll. Let's hear what he has to say, because we've heard about what he's done. We've heard about the miracles. We've heard about the wisdom. We've heard about all this stuff, so let's give him the scroll. And they gave him the scroll of Isaiah, and what, what happened was there was this rotation of Scripture that was read in the synagogue. And so it just happened to be, right, in the sovereignty of God, it just happened to be the time for this passage to be read. And Jesus stood up, as, which was the, the common practice of a teacher. He stood up to read the scripture, and he reads from Isaiah chapter 61. And he reads this, this beautiful messianic prophecy, the one that is pointing towards the Messiah, the sent one, right? The, the one that was pointing towards him. And he reads this, and he reads this passage where everybody would have known this passage, because they knew their Bibles. I mean, they, like, they had Bible drills in Sunday school and everybody wins. Like, I mean, they knew their Bibles, right? And so they know the passage he's, he's, he's talking about. And it's this beautiful passage that says, Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then what's he say? He, he rolled up the scroll and he sat down, which was the custom of a teacher. He sat down to teach and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. How awesome would that be? Because this is, this is the passage pointing towards Messiah. Messiah, the, the word anointed one, it's, it's the same word as Christ, Jesus Christ. It wasn't Jesus' last name, right? I used to think that, right, like, mary christ joseph christ <laughs> jesus christ is not his last name that's a title of messiah and he's saying look you guys like i'm here recovery of sight to the blind setting captives free proclaiming the year of the lord's jubilee he said all of that i'm i'm here i'm him right the the idea here there's there's so much wrapped up into this messianic promise the the year of the lord's favor it's the year of jubilee in in uh uh let's see leviticus 25:10 it says and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants it shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan see this year of jubilee or the year of the lord's favor it was this time in in israelites history where it was consecrated to the Lord, set aside for the Lord. And that 50th year, and it's like seven years times seven something, I'm not good at math, but it, it works out. And the 50th year, right, this was the time where if somebody had to sell their property because they couldn't pay their bills, it was given back to them. Their inheritance was restored. If somebody had to sell themselves into slavery, which was a common practice back then, if they had to sell themselves into slavery and because they couldn't pay their bills... The year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, they were restored. Their freedom was restored to them. Their family was restored. It's it's just this idea of everything that's wrong is being made right. He says, that's that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm about. And and the people, like it says they're speaking well of the words that are coming. I would think so, right? I mean, if if Jesus showed up, it's like, oh, yeah, that's very nice. It's like, (laughs) yeah, I would think. But then it's crazy because it goes from there, and there's a little bit of confusion because they're like, isn't this Joseph's son? And like in one sense, it's like, well, how does, how does he know all this stuff? And in another sense, I think it's like, you know, small town Nazareth, they're like, yeah, this is Joseph's son. This is the guy that lived you know, they're going to put up a billboard, Nazareth, home of Jesus, right? Like, you see in small towns across Missouri, not home of Jesus, but, you know, different, different places. And yet, yet they, he doesn't stop there. Because it's interesting, as they're they're speaking well of him, Jesus actually left out a passage. He didn't read the whole thing. Isaiah chapter 61, I have it up on the screen, verse 2. This is what he left out, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which he said, and the day of vengeance of our God, which he left out. And as we think about this, as we think about Jesus and and he's saying, I am the one that you're waiting for. I am the anointed one. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Like for us, reading that, it's like, man, praise God that he left out the end part, right? Because we don't want vengeance. We don't want wrath. The Bible in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, it it describes the, the Messiah's coming as the great and terrible day of the Lord. For me, I'd be like, Ooh, that's, you know, that's what you tell your kids at night. You better be good because the great and terrible day of the Lord is coming and you might be burned up. And, you know, it's like, ah, that's scary, scary stuff, right? But, but to, you have to read it in their context because in their context, they were people who were being oppressed, They were people in jacked-up systems and situations. Um, From from 722 B.C., the Israelite nation was under oppression from different Gentile nations coming in. First it was the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians, and the Persians, and the the Greeks, and now the the Romans were here. And this great and terrible day of the Lord, that that was the day that they were waiting for because they were oppressed and they were waiting for this day when God would come and he would set the, set the captives free and he would, he would destroy the Romans, he would destroy the Greeks, he would destroy the Gentile oppressors. Now you think about it in terms of that and it's like, man, that's, that's good news. That would be good news. If we were people under oppression in messed up situations, for the Messiah to come and just take care of our situation, for the Messiah to come and just take care of our system that's broken and yet Jesus says, I am who you're looking for, but I'm not going to do what you expect. And he goes on to, to say this in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 23. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Now, there, there's things that we could say about that. I, I'll say one thing, okay, and... And we'll move on because I don't have much time left. I'll say one thing. I don't believe if, if you, like I, I was raised going to Brashear High School, okay? If I, I, I went and we were, we were youth pastors in Brashear for a couple years after we graduated from, from college. This is not a passage saying that I shouldn't go back to Brashear to be a youth pastor. Because that's my hometown. That's not what it's saying here. If, if you're saying, man, I want to go back to my hometown, I want to preach to my family, I want to preach to my friends, great, do that. Don't look, at, don't look at Luke chapter four and be like, man, I hope somebody goes back to my hometown. No, no that's not, you're not Jesus. That, that, that's not how that applies, okay? So we could, we could unpack that more, but we're not going to. So again, you can be mad at me, that's all right. Verse, um, verse 20, 25, but in truth, I tell you, And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And I, was, I was joking with Andrew before I got up here. and I was like, man, if there's ever a time to preach a message that might make people angry, you just go to Luke 4. You know? I, hopefully you don't get up with wrath and try and throw me down a cliff somewhere. You know, But isn't it crazy how if, as you read this passage, and sometimes we read these passages we're so familiar with we them, don't, we don't think about how crazy it is that they went from speaking well of him. There's some confusion about like, isn't this Joseph's son? Where'd he get this stuff? They go from speaking well of him to wanting to throw him off a cliff in a matter of minutes. Now, I've had some anger issues in my past. Like I've... <laughs> I've punched myself in the head when I got angry, which is, I mean, some of you know that story and some of you don't, and that's fine. Now you're wondering what the story was. It's a story for a later time, but I've never went from speaking well of somebody to wanting to throw them off a cliff. Why? Why, why did they go from one extreme to the other? You see, Jesus, he begins to, to illustrate and begins to talk about what his plan is and what this is, what, what he's going to do in this proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor and setting captives free and all these different things by by talking about Elijah first. And we all, uh, Elijah, if you look at uh, the, the book of Kings and Elijah was an amazing prophet of God. He was an anointed one of God. And Elijah did some crazy stuff. Some of my favorite stories are about Elijah. And, and this was a guy that, I mean, everybody knew Elijah. They were, it was like if, if little Jewish boys had prophet trading cards, Elijah would have been like the one that they wanted, right? And so they're, they're talking about, like, he's, he's saying, okay, look at Elijah. Wasn't there a lot of widows in the time of Elijah in, in Israel? And yet, he didn't go to any of those. Who did he go to? He went to this widow in Zarephath, in Sidon. And she was a Gentile. He didn't go to any of the Israelites. He, this anointed one of God went to a Gentile who, who the Israelites saw as their oppressors. They, they were the ones that were the problem. It was, it was them. If we could just get rid of the Gentiles, we'd be all right. If we could just get rid of this broken system, we'd be okay. And Jesus is saying, no. See, the problem is, it's, it's bigger than what you think. It's more than what you think. I'm doing more than what you think. It's not what you expect, but it's more than what you think. Says, so look at the anointed one. He goes to somebody that, in your opinion, she, she's part of the problem, and she shouldn't have been healed. She shouldn't have been taken care of. She shouldn't have been, been rescued. She's outside of all of this. And he goes on to describe him more, and he talks about Elisha. Again, Elijah, like, you know, one, two, like, If somebody asks you, what's your top two prophets of the Old Testament? Elijah, Elisha, definitely, right? Elisha, he's a guy, again, Elijah's predecessor. He did some amazing things, incredible stories. And Jesus says, what about Elisha? He was another anointed one of God. He was anointed, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And in the time of of Elisha, there were all these different people who had leprosy in Israel, and yet none of them were healed except for Naaman, and Naaman, if you, if you read 2 Kings, Naaman was a powerful and uh, very successful general in the Syrian army. Now the Syrians were Gentile oppressors to Israel. They were one of those people that we talked about. They were, they were one of those that they had been oppressing Israel. They had been, they had been down on Israel. And, and, and Jesus said, yeah, Naaman was healed. Naaman, do you realize, this is is a fun fact, Naaman didn't even know about Elisha. The only reason Naaman knew about Elisha was his slave girl, whom he bought and purchased, who was an Israelite, told him about Elisha. You talk about an oppressor. These, these people, they're waiting for this great and terrible day of the Lord. They're waiting for the, the Messiah to come in and just, just change what they see is wrong. And yet Jesus says, I'm, I am coming to do that. I am coming to do something different. I am coming to change things. But it's not what you expect. It's more than what you think. But it's not what you expect. The people that you think are actually the problem, I'm coming for them as well. I'm not coming to destroy them. I'm coming to heal them. I'm not coming to, 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 to make things just like go away for you. I'm coming to, to do something more. You see, the, what Jesus is saying here, and I think what filled them with rage to the point that they wanted to kill him and shut him up and shut out this message, was that Jesus is saying, look, it's not, your problem is not your broken systems. Your problem is that you are broken. In John chapter 9, I don't have it up on the screen, but John chapter 9 Verse 39 through 41, Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? The Pharisees, they were the the Jewish religious leaders of the day, and they said, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. What is he saying there? He's saying, Look, you say that you're fine. You say, oh, I'm, I'm good. I can see. And he's like, no, the problem isn't outside of you. The problem is inside of you. The problem is that we are broken. And the problem isn't the, the oppressors. The problem isn't the systems. The problem isn't the Gentiles. The problem isn't your spouse. The problem isn't your, your kids. Your problem isn't your coworkers. The problem is that it's you and you're broken. And Jesus is saying, look, I have come to do something new inside of you and inside of the hearts of people right i've come i've come to make you new when why else does jesus when he's talking about the kingdom of god he describes it as a mustard seed and as leaven i don't even know what leaven looks like i don't i don't know if it I, I don't know what that means i don't know what that looks like but leaven is this this yeast it's this stuff that you put in dough and it works its way through the whole dough and it's like you can't even see it or maybe you can but it's super small right Or the mustard seed, it's this super small seed, and you plant it in the ground, and it's like, is anything going to happen? I mean, it's super tiny. You put it in the ground, and it's like, boom, rises up. And he says, it's going to provide shelter for all the birds of the air. But he says, that's what my kingdom's like. It's not a meteorite that comes in and crushes your opponents. It's a mustard seed that works its way through your heart and changes you, and restores you, and redeems you, and sets you free from the the bondage of sin that is is enslaving each and every one of us. And for some of you in here, you're still in bondage to that, and you don't understand what that means to be part of the kingdom of God. And I think that the truth there that I want you to hear is that Jesus is calling you, and he's reaching out to you, and he's saying, receive what I have given. Receive the freedom that, that I have come to grant you. But then, when as he talks about others and us and, and those who have accepted Christ, see the thing that Jesus is wanting to do is he's saying, "Look, I want to take restored people, redeemed people. I want to do a work in your heart, and it's not it's not, again, it's not destroying your systems. It's creating people who are forgiven and redeemed, and sending them out to preach forgiveness and redemption to the people around us." Colossians or 2 Corinthians, excuse me, I do have it up on the 2 Corinthians five eighteen. so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see what what God is doing? Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's saying, look, what I want to do is I want to take people like you and me, and I want to preach redemption to those who have not received it through you. I want to set you free I want to I want to do a work in your heart. I want to I want to work in you and it's not going to be the way you think it will. It's not going to it's not I'm not just going to come in. That's going to happen, right? Revelation 21 will happen. Jesus will come back and on that day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But we are not there yet. What he is doing now is he's using people like you and me to proclaim freedom and redemption. You and me, you see, we we talk about social justice. We talk about, well, well, what are we going to do as a church? My question is, what are you doing as someone who is set free and redeemed? What are you doing? Yes, as a church, we should care about the marginalized. And Stan and I were talking about we should care about those things. And we do. We want to see all people come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, which transforms their life and brings hope and meaning. We want to see people be disciples so that they can turn around and make disciples and we can live lives on purpose for God, on mission for God. We, we want to help people know, love and obey Jesus. And in so doing, we become people. Who want to see that for other people, and we become people who want to see that for the person on the street corner, and we don't just see them as, as a nuisance or somebody to get around without making eye contact. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where they, you, they have the sign and it's like, you know, "You're looking everywhere, but at them, because you don't want to see them. Or what about your neighbor? Right, your neighbors, there there are so many times where I feel like we just pretend like we're the only ones in existence in our neighborhoods. We pretend. And yet what we see in scripture, what we see Jesus doing is he's saying, look, I have a bigger plan for you. I have a bigger plan for this. And and so so as we talk about what does it look like to be engaged in social justice, I wanna work off of this definition, okay? And I am a broken person. I am a broken person who needs the grace and goodness of God on a daily basis. If you don't think I am, stick around long enough, and you will see that come through. But here's the definition that that I think we need to work off of. When I talk about social justice, I want to see the whole church ministering to the whole person with the whole gospel. And we do have it up on the screen. The whole church ministering to the whole person with the whole gospel. See, I think if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll wait around and we'll, we'll expect something like the disciples expected, like those people in that crowd in, in Nazareth expected. We'll say, oh, somebody should do that. Somebody should take care of that. Somebody should do something. Somebody should care. And yet what I believe Jesus is doing and has done and continues to do is he's saying, yes, and I'm sending you. Church, Anthem, my prayer for us is that we would be a people who, who fully know what it means to be set free by Jesus Christ so that we can be a people on mission to see others set free that we would see people the way Jesus sees people and that we wouldn't wait for for something to happen but we would engage in this because that is coming. Revelation 21 is coming and yet God is is empowering us and choosing us to continue to preach freedom to the poor and sight for the blind and hope for the hopeless. Let's, Let's pray. God, I... I praise you. And even even as we talk through this, God, I realize the imperfection of my voice and the imperfection of my words. And and God, I just I ask that you would continue to to move and work. And God, I do pray that, that you would help us to be people who are redeemed and who are restored and who, who know what it looks like to, to be those things and to be those people that you have that you've called us to be. And God, that, that we as the whole church would preach the whole gospel to the whole body, we, the whole church preaching, ministering to the whole body, the, the whole gospel. God, I, I pray that that would be our definition of social justice even moving forward, God. That we would work to be your hands and your feet and God, that you would start with us, with each and every one of us, that you would restore us and that you would redeem us. And I praise you, God, and I thank you. And it's in your name, amen.